A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome along to a brand new Writer's Routine Roundtable. My name's Dan Simpson, thank you so much for listening. In this episode, it's a bonus episode. We've got four fantastic uplit slash rom-com authors on. Not really sure what the genre's called, actually, at the moment, but we'll figure that out in the chat. Uh, We're talking writing, how they do it, how they plan, how they feel about their genre, and how lockdown has affected their creativity. Now, we've got a couple of authors on who have been on the show before, and we've also got some debuts. Laura Jane Williams will be with us. Uh, she talks us through her routine last year ahead of her book, Our Stop. Uh, her new one is The Love Square, uh, and she joins us. Also, Nicola Gill is on. She came on earlier this year to talk about her debut, The Neighbours. And she's already got another book coming out this summer. Talking about being busy, you can find out more about that in the chat. Also, Hannah Sunderland joins us. Her debut is very nearly normal. And from the Moderate Mum blog, we've got Charlene Alcott with us too. Her newest novel is More Than a Mum. Uh, it's a brilliant chat about all aspects of writing. I just love hearing writers talking about their craft uh, and the way they work amongst themselves. It brings up things that I, I, I don't think I, I would ever get in, in a regular chat that I do with the authors. Having more than one on, having the writers talking amongst themselves... I think helps us break into new ground, really. So let's get into it then. Uh, And I started by asking how lockdown has affected their writing routine. And Laura gets us going. How have I been finding lockdown? How has my creativity been? Um, I mean, as wild and rocky and unnerving and sublime as it is the rest of the time, to be honest. Um, I've been on deadline. I have been one of those annoying people who have written a book during lockdown. Um, But I will say, (laughs) um, yes, I'm one of those annoying people who has written a book in lockdown, but had I not been contractually obliged to, I'm not sure it would have gotten finished, I think. Um, my biggest takeaway from lockdown is that throughout the creative process, the lows are lower. And so I've struggled to kind of bounce back um, as quickly as what I normally would have done. I don't know if anybody else has found that. This was the thing about at the, right at the start of lockdown, when I was hearing online, some authors were having a hard time. Uh, getting their kind of creative juices going and writing their stories. And I was thinking, well, surely your life hasn't changed that much. You're still writing there in front of your laptop. Maybe you can't go to cafes. But how hard has it been for you, Nicola? Um, so 
It's interesting, the whole writing during lockdown thing, because unlike Laura, I haven't um, actually been contractually obliged to write my book uh, because I had a two book deal. Um, but I still have been writing. And I think with me, that's just spurred on by fear, really, um, that, you know, <laughs> I've sort of a, achieved this dream and I don't want it all to be whipped away from me. Um, but I really agree with what Laura said, which is just that the lows are lower and I think you're right, Dan, that, you know, from a practical point of view, it shouldn't make much difference because, you know, a lot of us, you know, work from home anyway. So really what difference? But I think that when you get to a bit that you're struggling with, the sort of general mood pervades a bit and then it's quite hard to push through and you just have to make yourself do it. Um, Charlene, how do you feel about this? I am very embarrassed by how optimistic I was at the start of lockdown. I <laughs> I envisioned around this point I would have a completely polished novel and I really haven't managed to do anything. And I do think it's easier for me to be creative when I'm busier and have a bit more inspiration from the people that I'm meeting and and less opportunity for procrastination. If I only have two hours in a day free, I tend to use them to write. If I have more, I tend to use them to potter so that's what's been happening for a couple of months unfortunately when you started your you started your writing kind of in chaos didn't you charlene because you did the the moderate mum which was that was a blog online wasn't it yeah um so you started doing a a blog online kind of charting um being a moderate mum and now now everyone's in the same kind of boat as you as trying to write in, in in the chaos of everyone being there all the time Yeah. And when I started my first book, I was in the process of becoming a single parent and it was a really difficult time. And actually writing was an amazing escape and it helped me find calm in the chaos. And I haven't been able to do that as successfully in this, probably because parenting life has taken up a lot more time with schools being closed. Um, but it is a re- it has been a really good time to think about forgiving myself uh, in terms of what kind of parent I am, how much I'm managing to do in all areas of life. And I think that that will hold me in good stead in the future, I hope. I think and I think at least two of you, Hannah and Laura, you've you've had books published during during lockdown. Hannah, how was um how was the release of Very Nearly Normal in amongst all of this kind of mayhem? Uh, uh, it wasn't what I expected it would be. Um, I had this like idea that it was going to be big book launch with all like my friends and family and I would be able to go to a shop and actually see it there. And obviously none of that could happen. Um, I don't know. It's been like, it has been a bit disappointing because of all the build up towards it. But, um, but now seeing everyone's reaction to it, like people have, like book instagrammers other authors have all kind of clubbed together to kind of promote each other's work which i found really nice and laura i know that you've well you've joined us on the show about a year ago to kind of run through your routine how how has it changed for you being in lockdown i know that you you said you're contractually obliged to get your story down so you need to do it how are you how are you how have you found you're sitting there day to day uh, has anything changed have you had to adapt much um 
building on what Nicola, uh, was it Nicola? No, Charlene, sorry, was just saying about the self-forgiveness, um, practicing a lot of forgiveness. I've been practicing a lot of forgiveness with myself as well. I think um, I've always held it in my mind that a proper grown-up and a proper functioning member of society is at their desk by nine and works until five and it just that is not the case for storytellers it doesn't work that way um or if it does work that way for you fantastic I'm thrilled for you but what what I am learning um I've actually written two books since we last spoke Dan and in that time um what I'm learning is it takes me all day to kind of for my mind to kind of quiet uh, for me to finally settle. And I, I don't have children, um, so I can be very flexible with my time. So there's no point sort of punishing myself for feeling more comfortable and more able to write when it's getting dark outside. Um, I'm, I really, during lockdown, have given myself the space to go, do you know what? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in an old T-shirt and a pair of pants with a glass of wine from about six o'clock through till maybe from like five till ten. I find this really magic hour um, for me. And I've always known that, but it's only in lockdown where there's literally nowhere else to go anyway that I've really um, just let myself enjoy it. And I intend to continue enjoying it moving forward I will design the structure of of my day um for as long as I've got the flexibility to do that Nicola how about you have you said that you're writing uh not uh, not under contract now you're just writing because you want to keep you know want to strike while the iron's hot when we spoke I remember you were you were very big on your running very big on your exercise you were getting to work early so you'd have time to write there how, how has lockdown uh, affected your routine how have you had to adapt <sighs> Um, I think lockdowns affected my routine. Well, it's difficult because I was when I wrote The Neighbours, I was working full time. So I very much had to structure my writing around a full time job. So I actually had very little flexibility, hence the getting up very early and stuff. But I am kind of a morning person anyway. Um, I think what's different now is that because I'm freelance, I do have a bit more um control over my day and the ability to sort of structure it as I want it and I think you know Laura's absolutely right you have to do what's right for you um and for me I think that is mornings really I think as the day goes on I become increasingly useless um and um you know really by the evening I'm only really able to possibly read other people's books on on a good night or being more honest probably just watch lots and lots of terrible things on Netflix so I think you just have to do what's kind of best for you but I think what's really different about lockdown is that obviously everyone else is home too so my um you know my two sons and my husband are all at home as well so so that's an adjustment as well speaking about Netflix there I mean I think we've all been we've all been kind of strongly binging over the last few months uh how does Hannah? You can answer this, please. How does surrounding yourself with other people's stories affect the way that you tell stories? I mean, are you when when you're binging episodes of The Sinner or whatever it is? Are you are you learning just general storytelling practice? Yeah, I think that um, seeing how other people 
create stories and structure them is really important to how you do it yourself because you can if you watch enough like a bigger span of tv or film you see how different people structure their stories and you can pick and choose from their their way of doing it and trying to craft your own way like at the moment I'm going back through uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer which I don't think I've watched in about 10 years and um, I think that looking back on it now that like comedic way of the dialogue that they all share has actually like subliminally been quite influential in how I I write. Charlene what about what about you if you uh, if, if you did a lot of blogging before you started writing stories writing published novels what was it um what kind of influenced i hate the i hate the question about influences so i'm sorry about that but but were there what were you kind of looking out for in other books you were reading and things that you were watching on telly that you thought would be useful when you would come to write your story definitely um more television and film than books in terms of building suspense and really building connections with characters. I do love reading, but when I'm writing, I probably read less because I am liable to take on voices that I love. There was a big chunk of my first book, which I reread and realised basically was Bridget Jones' Diary. So I try and, um, (laughs) like, in gaps read books but I'm always trying to stay with um, film and television and I really like even though I don't write it watching crime because they're so good at um, injecting mystery and pulling you through a story. Now before before we crack on you're all here because um, you are genre writers who write in the same genre but, but just just so I can nail this now what am I calling that genre? Whatever you want Doc. Okay. Can I just because yeah, some people say some people say oh women's fiction, which I'm just you know skin crawling, and I know that happens a bit sometimes as well. Am I good saying a rom com? Is that fine? I I had a new one the other day which I quite liked, um, and someone said it was domestic noir, which I thought sounded quite good. I quite like the sound of that. I don't know if that is what we all write, but I like the sound of it. Mm, I think that's why I love um, the the onset of like uplift. The whole idea of uplifting literature, you know, is is genderless. So if you like books that are like warm hugs, um, maybe I think I don't mean to speak for anybody else, but maybe you'd like our stuff. I'm down for that. I'm down for uplift. I think that's great. Me too. Good, good one, Laura. I like that. You've nailed it. I've never, I've never heard that before. That's fantastic. It doesn't make my skin crawl. Now, right. So we, we've, we've outlined that it is uplit, um, uh, rather open, and anyone can feel free to answer this. What do you, what do you think are the th- three main requirements for an up, an uplit novel? I've got quite a specific one, I think. In that, when I was doing the first draft of Our Stop, the only redeeming um male male character was the male protagonist and everybody else was scum basically and <laughs> it was my my agent pointed out that that wasn't very uplifting wasn't very nice and didn't feel very encouraging about the world and actually pivoting to create a cast of characters who were all flawed in their own way but who were all um 
all had redemption, you know, redemptive qualities in their own way as well, felt a lot more actually realistic. Um, and I know that that was reflected in a lot of the feedback as well, um, that all of the characters seem to have heart. So I think you can write characters who um, maybe are a bit mean or a bit nasty, but you do have to make them three-dimensional. So for me, one of the things would be um, not everybody can be mean. <laughs> how, much did that, how much did that play into it then when, when you went to write The Love Square? Um, well, what I say about writing Airstop, I might have said this the last time you interviewed me, was that it took me from a cynic to a believer. So literally in rewriting the characterization of people in my book, I kind of rewired my own brain that instead of looking for the darkness, particularly in male characters, um, you know, letting letting people down or, or not coming through it with the romance, um, in rewriting that, I kind of rewrote in my brain and it taught me to search for the good in people. So it came a lot more naturally in the love square um, to have... Um, you know, I was just so excited to have not one love interest, not two love interests, but three. Um, and I always joke, you know, hot men will never be in short supply in my books. And when I say hot men, what I mean is emotionally intelligent, switched on, funny, kind, generous men. Um, so, yeah, probably without me realising um, what I had done in our stop with rewiring my brain then meant in the love square, I just had a whale of a time writing all of these fabulous characters. So we've outlined that, that one of the requirements is that not all of your characters can be utter arses. Hannah, what about you? So when you were writing Very Nearly Normal, um, which has been billed as the unforgettable summer romance, uh, what, what what did you really want your story to be? If it was going to have a requirement and an uplit requirement, what would it be? Um, the way my characters talk to each other is um, quite sarcastic, dry humour, and I think that helps get across some of the the more serious themes in the book because it's it's kind of around um, you reaching an age where all of the people around you seem to be succeeding to sickening levels and you're sat there in the daytime, like drinking soup out of a mug and not really knowing what, what the hell you're going to do with your day. Um, and, um, so that, that can get quite, um, kind of a bit of a drag, I guess, if your characters aren't, aren't bantering with each other so I think humor is quite an integral part of what I wanted to get across in the book and and um Charlene when you were coming to write your 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 second book when which you published more than a mum that was out in February uh, when you were coming to write that after the, the success of your first novel how did you approach the the difficult second book you've written blogs for years the first book is a success how did you approach the the, the second one well for me, um, drawing back to the question about what Uplit is about, I feel that in each book I want the main character to learn something significant about themselves. And by complete coincidence, uh, they also learn things that I want to learn. <laughs> so the first book was about starting over after divorce and more than a mum is about feeling like you're lost in motherhood and how to reclaim the part of yourself that isn't a mother so 
really when it came to my second book I looked at where I was in my life and what I was finding difficult I was starting a new career also trying to be a good mum and trying to answer that question and I I suspect I'm going to have questions that I need answering for the rest of my life and I hope that I'll be able to draw um, inspiration from that process. That's interesting because what you've said there almost echoes what Laura said earlier about how writing our stop kind of made made you believe didn't you that's what that's what you said just a second ago is that is that the case for you Nicola are you kind of right and I think this might be with uplit more than any other genre I can't imagine people writing psychological thrillers much because they want to learn about themselves uh Nicola when you wrote the neighbors and the new one we are family how much are you trying to answer questions like about life and the world that you've got inside um I think quite a lot really and I think you know you know, to to pick up on what the others have said, I think that um, the thing about Uplit that's nice is that you can explore some sort of fairly dark themes, but using humour as well. And I think there's a sort of, um, for me anyway, there's a sort of um, a thread of hopefulness that runs through everything that I guess that more people in the world are good than bad and I know there's a lot of bad things that are going on but there's also a lot of kindness and um you know a lot of people who go out of their way to help others so I think it's kind of important to remember that really because sometimes um we just get obsessed with all the bad things we're seeing I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just a very quick interruption from me right before we get back to it to remind you that if you are loving the show, I'd love you to support us over on Patreon. Uh, if you've learned anything over 110 or so episodes, it's getting ridiculous, the numbers now. If you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you tell your stories, uh, if it's helped your writing, maybe you do things differently and plan your day uh, in a different, possibly better, more efficient way since you've been listening to us, please do help us out. Help us keep bringing you episodes with the best authors around as often as we can. 
and maybe we'll get a few more little bonus ones like these as well. You can get merch uh, and thank yous online, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can even get your book to sponsor the show, which I think is pretty good. Like if lockdown has slightly ruined your book launch... Uh, support us we'll support you i'll give you a huge plug a massive push before some episodes and hopefully we can get you a few more clicks uh, online and draw more eyes to your prize all you need to do so simple pledge to support us every month on patreon a dollar or so a month will really help out doesn't need to be loads just something small like that really goes a long way you can help us out over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine Right, let's get back to it then with our roundtable, talking to rom-com uplit authors Charlene Alcott, Hannah Sunderland, Laura Jane Williams and Nicola Gill. Uh, In this half, we talk about the standard tropes of the genre, how much they think about that, how they actually write a happy ending as well. It sounds so simple, writing a happy ending, but I think it's something that so many writers in this genre don't manage to successfully, so it would be worth asking the questions to the writers who have actually pulled it off. Uh, and we pick things up talking about finding the audience. How do authors keep in mind who their reader is? And wh- when they're writing in Uplit, which traditionally is seen to appeal to one reader over another, whether they think about that, do they really give it a t- the time of day at all? We get to that. Laura kicks us off again. I don't know, because in, in one respect, I suppose I am my own target audience. And that's how I keep things um, authentic and heartfelt and quite like the others have said, exploring things that, you know, it's kind of the perfect excuse to explore things that mean something to me. I think it would be a sad thing that to assume that, you know, a protagonist is female. They say that readers... Um, are basically practicing empathy. So if you're capable of consuming fiction, you're capable of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. I would hate to assume that a man or somebody who identifies as a man would would walk past that in the shop and say, oh, no, not for me. I don't want to practice putting myself in those shoes. I know it happens. I'm not that naive. Um, But I do think that's sad. It's funny. I've had it, historically, I've had it on dating apps people um uh, I'm, I'm straight so matching with men and when they say oh you know what do you write and I say you know it's kind of uplifting literature focuses a lot on romance and you'll often get the ha ha I've probably not read it then and it's like why is that ha ha I don't like I don't get it are you incapable of putting yourself in a in a female protagonist's shoes like half of the, our stop was written from the point of view of a man um and actually, the the blokes that have read our stop um, ha, have been very kind about it. Um, so yes, it, 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 you know, I'd be naive to say it's not gendered, um, but I do think that's that's sad. And if, as a reader, you want to count yourself out of what I produce based on that idea then I think it's your loss not mine. Charlene what about you with this one because the new one is more than a mum you have the single mum's wish list I mean you're on brand you're the moderate mum how much are you thinking about the 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 type of person who is going to read your story are they are they are they focused on mums what's what's going on there? Well I've written two books uh where the main characters are mothers um and I think that's the classic, write what you know. But similarly to Laura, I've had men read 
my book and say that they enjoyed it and related to it and ultimately we're trying to capture human experience and not one particular person's experience and the novel that I'm writing now I am writing with a male lead so it will be interesting to see if that process is any different to me or if it makes me think about the reader in a different way. Can I ask a follow-up question on that? Go for it. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Um, What has prompted the decision to write from the male point of view, Charlene? (laughs) Well, back to my answering of questions. (laughs) The book I'm writing writing now is about trying to start a relationship with someone who has a child. And because that's sort of the thing I'm struggling with or finding challenging at the moment. And I think the really interesting part of that is the person coming into the family, what their experience is. And I think being a step parent is a really, really difficult role. And, you know, I like to explore the difficult things I think that's where the interesting stuff is how have you found that then Charlene have you did you what what did you do right at the start that helped you put yourself in someone else's that you know someone else's that's quite different to use mind yeah I mean I always start a book with characters and try and get to really know the person um and actually sort of mind map them and their interests and everything and then I just keep putting them in different scenarios and seeing how that person would react uh also my main source of inspiration is gossip so (laughs) I I just get collect a lot of stories (laughs) and that helps me shape other people's experiences now with uplit uh, and stepping on from rom-coms, as they might have been known earlier on, with Bridget Jones, you mentioned that earlier, character is key, but character can also be quite, um, formulaic's the wrong word, but perhaps stock on occasions. Uh, Hannah, how did you find writing a debut and figuring out who your characters realistically were and trying to make them three-dimensional, well-rounded, and just not playing to, um, uh, you know, Mr. Darcy? Hmm. Um, well, a lot because my book's quite autobiographical in parts. Um, my main character is partly based on me, so I obviously had a lot of uh, insight into that. Um, and I've put some people. I did warn them before the book was released that they might notice themselves in the book. Um, so I have stolen a few people from my actual life and put them in. And I think um, choosing a character, some of them pump like pop into your head completely fully formed and they're like this is how I would answer a question this is what I would wear this is the decision I would make in this this um situation but others take a lot more getting your head around and I think if you can pick little bits from people you know maybe from uh, aspects of other characters that you've seen and just put them into one person you can get quite a a well-rounded interesting character from that you were talking about um writing and making it funny earlier on 
how much are you thinking about that aspect of it? Maybe writing a joke, describing something in a way that's never been heard before, but that is also relatable. I mean, if I was if I was writing up there, that would be something that would worry me a lot. You know, trying to make it casual, trying to make it that someone would actually read and say. How did you find that? Um, I have quite a sarcastic sense of humour anyway, so throwing that into the mix with um with the characters was quite easy for me. I think um my main character is quite angry with the world so I think if you've got a kind of snotty character there it's easier to throw a sarcastic kind of dry sense of humor in to their character traits but then you have the the question of is the audience going to those that don't have a dry sense of humor are they going to get the joke as much as someone who does yeah but I've had Pretty pretty good feedback that people have been laughing out loud. So I think I did an okay job with it. This is quite an open-ended one. So I'm sorry about this. Uh, Nicola, you can give it a stab. All of your books, if you look up any of your books on Amazon, it'll say, you know, the new feel-good rom-com. That's what it'll say. Well, the feel-good uplet. Uh, very open-endedly, hard to answer, I know, but how, how do you make something feel good? How do you know that you're, it, it will feel good at the end? Oh, that's a great question. Nicola, go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, Dan. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, feel good, I think maybe it's just another word for uplit, isn't it? It's just that sort of leaving people with that sense of, of hopefulness and um, enjoyment, perhaps, which is not to say that there aren't sort of uh, weightier and uh, sadder topics in the book there are but just that you can leave them with a sense of hope and joy I guess is it not as simple Laura as making sure the um you know the girl and the guy or whoever it is get together at the end um I mean when you are doing a, a rom-com when you are setting out to write a romance I think there is an exception. I know in um, in kind of book reviewer uh, circles, they use the H-E-A. So they talk about a H-E-A, happily ever after, um, because some of my books have been referred to as having like a fresh twist on the H-E-A. So I think readers would potentially feel robbed um, if there wasn't, you know... Um, romantic protagonists getting together at the end but quite like well all of us have touched on really it's about what they learn on the way there has to for any story to work there has to be an element of transformation that gets undertaken so I think what you ultimately know okay at the end you're going to get a happily ever after but the reason you keep turning the page is because you're invested in how the transformation takes place in order to get to the happy ever after I love that about uplet about rom-com about romance um ultimately you probably know where it's going to end up but that's not what you strap in for you strap in for the journey I was just going to say that's exactly right it, it is about the journey more than the thing and actually um my um books the romance isn't necessarily the main part of it at all um so there might be what there is a romantic element to it but that's not the main part of the story at all 
um, the main part of the story in The Neighbours is the friendship between the two women. And the main part of the story in We Are Family is the relationship between the two sisters, really. And it's almost like a rom-com between them. Um, that sounds weird, but you know what I mean. No, I love that because that's exactly the thing, isn't it? There's not one type of love. Like romantic love exists, but platonic love, familial love. I explore self-love quite a lot. Readers are as interested in that as the happy ever after, you know, between two people um, at the end, for sure. Sometimes books come along in a genre that completely changed the way things are done. I'm, I'm thinking Gone Girl for, for psychological thriller. What, what would you say has really made you think about this genre? Are there any stories that you've read, Hannah, which have really made you wonder about how this can be done? Maybe it can be done differently. There are things in there that you want to take and use. Um, I was a, quite a big fan of... Um, Jojo Moyes and Cecilia Hearn and that kind those um kind of authors and both of them take quite um what could be distressing kind of depressing topics and wrap them up in something that's that's funny or um but doesn't like um make fun of the topic itself but just adds a bit of humor in to those topics and I feel like that's the best way to get someone to talk about something because if it's um kind of softened with an edge of humor you can get so much more across than if you just say this is the this is the point I want to talk about this is the issue that I think is important if you wrap that up in a little bit of humor people are far more open to it and I think that that's what those two authors do quite well in their works and they've probably been um influential into how I've gone about my writing Charlene how about you is there has there been anyone that you've read along the way which has made you think about the convention of uplit I like anyone who is just trying to reach a bit beyond a typical story um Sophie Tanner's reader I married me which is just so much about womanhood and independence and anything that makes me think about the pressures that I've had to put on myself by society in a different way is really interesting to me so I don't think you know you have to turn something on its head you just have to like open a window to a different way of thinking about something and that's exciting and I guess that my last question will be the same for all of you um what's up next then I mean Laura you've you've been busy writing away during lockdown uh what's happening next um well the love square has um come out in digital but isn't out in paperback until August 6th can I ask very quickly there about the difference between digital and and paperback I know that this might not be what your publishers want to hear because kindle is such a huge thing now I mean I've got my first kindle for Christmas and I cannot get enough of the thing uh does it? Do you feel any different between not having a physical copy and it being digital as as a writer? Um, I do. You know what? Actually, I've had new intel on this in the past twenty four hours. Personally, when I'm being sent uh, a proof, like an early edition of another author's book, to maybe give a blurb for, I prefer paperback. I take a paperback to bed with me every night, um, or a hardback. I love a physical um, copy. 
But I do understand that um, for a lot of readers, you know, that so many readers, you know, you look on Goodreads or the, the book bloggers that I follow online all have these challenges to, I want to read 50 books this year. I want to read 100 books. They're consuming several a week. Um, and if you can feed that habit for a couple of quid a copy rather than seven pounds a copy, um, all power to you. I did read yesterday that um, sending out early copies of your books in paper format is basically killing the planet and means that smaller publishers can't afford to do it. So I am mindful now that I might actually invest in a Kindle myself purely for the early copies of other writers' stuff, and then I will save my hardback and paperback consumption for, um, uh, you know, the writing that I do for for fun more than I do for work. Um, But I just think um, my publisher, Avon, is format agnostic, So in whatever way people want to consume stories, they'll deliver it. And I just think that is such an equaliser. I'm not here for any sort of snobbery around writing or books or publishing. Stories are stories. They make us more empathetic empathetic people. Um, So I'm all for a 99p on Kindle, a 2.99 on Kindle, a £10 audio book. I mean, I'm literally looking at my bookshelf right now. I've even got, can you believe it, the audio of Our Stop um, on CD. People are still consuming things that way. I think we even sold some of them. So however you are ingesting stories, I'm all for it. And I cut over your, uh, I, I cut over the, the, the first answer, the question that I asked you, what's, so, uh, so sorry, The Love Square uh, is out in, uh, in, a, in a physical copy shortly. What have you been, what have you been working on? Um, yeah, so The Love Square is out in August and I've just submitted the first draft of a, of a book that's going to be coming out next year. And that is called The Lucky Escape. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick. Nicola, when we last spoke, you uh, you had published The Neighbours. That was kind of at the start of this year, wasn't it? And now you've, you've got a new one out in September. Uh, we Are Family. You've kind of spoken about the sisters. I can't believe you're cracking up the book so so quickly. Uh, how, how has that been? What What is it about? Oh, it's been a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, Dan. I look about 100 years older than when you last saw me. Um, no, it's very exciting. Um, we Are Family comes out on September the 3rd, and I really can't believe that I've, you know, got two books out in a year. It seems extraordinary. And then um, during lockdown, I've been writing my third book, which I've just about finished my first draft of. So, yeah, been busy. You've been really busy, Nicola. I'd be dead. I'm nearly dead, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you can't see me. That we're just recording this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't get any. I didn't get any panicked emails from any of you wondering if it was going to be audio or visual. The last time I did it, I had about. I had everyone emailed me really panicked and be like, "Do I need? Do, do I need to get dressed up? Do I need to do my hair? Do I need to get all that?" And I was like, "No, it's fine. It's fine." And I'm, you know, I had none of those panicked emails from you. So there you go. I will confess, I did put my mascara on just in case. <laughs> I was going to say, I drew my eyebrows on. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, so your debut very nearly normal. Uh, it's out right now. 
So uh, what have you kind of learned from doing that book that's affecting maybe the story that you're writing now or the idea, the next idea that you've got that you want to get out there? Um, well, I've, I've written my second book during uh, lockdown and I sent that first draft in last week. Um, but I think more the thing that's influenced my writing the most from the first one is how the actual writing process works. So I'm kind of like editing as I go along now. So before I just write a sentence and think that's not very good, but I'll come back to it. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But now I'm kind of thinking, no, that's not good enough and going straight back and self-editing. So I think I've cut my writing time in half basically because of what I learned from writing the last one. Charlene, how's uh, how's it been for you? What's up next? Well, um, so more than a more than a mum came out this year. Also, a couple of months ago, um, a collection called "The Best Most Awful Job" was released, which is a collection of twenty writers writing about motherhood, and it is a wonderful read for lockdown because they're just short things that you can dip into, and all really beautiful. And now I am going to try and finish my current novel um, before winter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to keep the goals broad right now. (laughs) Sometimes that's the only way to get anything done, though, isn't it? Like if I sit down and say, I've got to write 3000 words today, I inevitably write three. But if I sit down and say, as long as you write something today, babe, you've done all right. And then that's when I can write 4,000 words. It's mad. Keeping the the objective broader, it's like psychological warfare. For me, it makes it easier. And that is it for this week's bonus episode, the second ever Writer's Routine Roundtable. Love doing them. Uh, it's, it's, I will get a, a few more in the can, I promise. It's just, as you might imagine, four authors on today. Even though we're all still slightly stuck at home, you know, finding the time, organising everyone to do that, it sometimes it takes a little bit of work. So just bear with me. I will get you some more, I promise. Thank you so much to Laura, Nicola, Charlene and Hannah for coming on the show. You can find out all about their new books at writersroutine.com. And on Friday, fingers crossed, we'll get an episode with Mark Grenside, who, who will be talking about going from being a Hollywood producer to writing books. Before then, in the, for the rest of the week, something you can do, a little bit of homework, leave us a review on Apple. Uh, if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave us a review there. Also, give us a follow on Twitter and support us if you fancy over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. And I will see you on Friday with Mark Grenside. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.